personal tape, not to be stored in vault. Carly Kinzine here. In this tape, I shall tell you in more detail about the event known as the Great Disaster. Should the labs ever fall to something similar, a record of what happened the first time may prove helpful in combating the disruption. I have mentioned the Great Disaster of 1987 before, in the introduction tape to this project. I left out the details purposefully because they were not needed then. Now I can tell you the full story. Let us start with the man who caused all this. Dr. Antimony Barrett was one of the five heads of the labs. Graduating with a degree of quantum mechanics and theory in 1924, he began his research into the paranormal and not quite paranormal in 1929, when he was 29. The youngest and most ambitious out of any leader that came before him, he pushed the labs in a new direction, actually expanding the prototype of Project EDC in, back in the day, and also starting the IWI, or Interdimensional Wormhole Initiative. That initiative will be covered on a later tape, hopefully, if I have time to sort of cover that with all the work I already have to do. Although the other four heads initially sort of scoffed at him, thinking him young and dumb because they were all older than him, he soon gained respect among the rest of them and became the biggest scientific star in the lab community in no time. However, he was seen as a bit too loud sometimes, and to put it that way. Several times the older members had to reprimand him for nearly revealing the existence of the labs to the general public. Whenever the labs began to run low on money, he often brought up in meetings selling the research to private companies that the labs did. Of course, the other four heads immediately rejected his idea, saying that if the works of the labs were to become commercialized, then the world itself would begin to destroy these supernatural and paranormal creatures, and people would get hurt, a war might even happen between humankind and the other side. Some things were just not meant to be revealed, and some things were more valuable than money. During the Great Depression, Dr. Barrett almost got his way. Under the real threat of financial collapse, the four founders nearly signed over all the research to him to be sold. However, with President Roosevelt's new policies coming to the rescue just in time, they felt that the deal was no longer needed. This angered Dr. Barrett, for he felt cheated, but he could do nothing. As the years passed, Dr. Antimony Barrett began to feel as though the labs were holding him back. He watched other men, the same age as him, become rich, by finding new things in the world. Well, he discovered new things too. And with the IWI nearing completion, he could discover alternate dimensions, a galaxy, and the world would never know. He would forever remain in the shadows, the silhouette of the man he could be, or so goes his thought process. I do not know exactly when he began plotting the downfall of the labs, but he did. He began moving like-minded people into important positions in the departments all over the country. Young people who had the same get-rich-quick scheme as he did, or the older people who just were tired of the other four heads. They didn't really care about the other aspect of his sort of takeover idea. He slowly amassed money, a following, and most worrisome of all, weapons. He was preparing for a war. 
on April 9, 1987. Dr. Antimony Barrett arrived at the Central Lab building in Columbus, Ohio at 6 o'clock a.m. His followers had already gotten into the main lab building, bringing with them the arsenal. Security camera footage taken from that day is grainy at best, for they had attempted to jam the cameras somewhat elementarily. Despite having several programmers on their side, I guess they were rushed. But footage recovered from that day shows at 6.30 a.m., 30 minutes after he entered the building, Dr. Barrett walked into the meeting of the five heads he was supposed to attend that day, pulled out a handgun, and opened fire on the other four. Two were shot dead before they could react. The other two managed to duck for cover, calling security right before their comms were jammed. This event sparked a month-long civil war within the company. This civil war raged across the country, invisible to others, but very, very visible to everyone here. Across the country, lab facilities were embroiled as supporters of Dr. Barrett and loyalists of the founders. They fought in, from Washington all the way to Maine. If there was a lab building, you would pretty much be guaranteed to find gunfire, gunshots, pieces of explosives lying around, shattered equipment, bodies, blood. It was, it was not a fun time. Very few records of this civil war actually exist. In fact, April of 1987 is pretty much a dead zone if you're looking for recorded or written data from the labs. No one really wrote any of this down because they were all fighting for their lives. Most records are personal memoirs or interviews of survivors, actually. The notable date is April 27th, 1987. The bloody civil war was finally beginning to come to an end, with many of Dr. Barrett's supporters having been captured or killed or just given up, tired of war. The remaining forces of the heads had managed to pin down the the remainder of Barrett's forces and Dr. Barrett himself at the main building in Columbus where it had all began. Head forces entered the building at 4 o'clock a.m. after breaking through the blockade set up by Dr. Barrett's forces. There was a massive firefight, to say the least, throughout the entire building after that blockade was broken. An estimated 90% of both sides' forces were cut down in the hour that this firefight took up. At 5.05 a.m., head forces had surrounded the main server room, where Dr. Barrett and the three remaining sympathizers were holed up. Moments before the team broke through the door, gunshots were heard inside. What greeted the team when they did break through the door was gruesome. 
Four bodies, all with several gunshots in them. Dr. Barrett's men with three gunshots each in their heads. And Dr. Barrett himself with a bullet buried in his head. Seeming to leer at the team in death, slumped over the server. Blood was everywhere. I am so glad I was not a part of that team. When they checked the servers for physical damage, they found something much worse. Dr. Barrett had before his death released a virus simply titled D00M.REXEM into the system, which had locked almost every document ever logged into the servers behind several firewalls and also purged many of the files that were in there, including the prototype of Project EDC and some most of IWI, with very little hope of actually getting these pure purge documents back. The cleanup was brutal. First, the remainders of Dr. Barrett's loyalists had to be rounded up or killed, which took months and was not fun for those involved, especially not the firing squad. On top of that, the property and the human cost of this month-long civil war it was astronomical. Death notices had to be sent to families, which is a job nobody relishes doing. Property damage had to be assessed, and financial costs had to be drawn up. All of this was combined with the recovery effort for the documents in the server, an endeavor that you all know took 13 years. In fact, as I say this, the last of the documents are still being unencrypted. The reason that this is so hard for me to talk about, why I paused so much, was I, I was part of this strife. I was, I was working in Louisiana when armed soldiers burst into my department and demanded we surrender to people who tried to resist were shot dead right in front of us. I was helpless to disobey, so for two weeks I was held in this facility. I was not mistreated, but I was not allowed to leave. They kept the two dead bodies in the lobby as a reminder of what happened if you didn't if you didn't cooperate. Before we were rescued, the men that broke in were starting to train us on how to package this data to be sold. I didn't want to do that, but I had no choice. Luckily, head forces reached the base in Louisiana before data packaging could begin. So, we were rescued. The men were all shot dead. And... <sighs> Ugh, it's so hard to talk about. I'm sorry. But for the rest of the war, I, I worked as an informant. I moved from the Louisiana base to the Wyoming base to the Washington base. Basically everywhere around the country I was needed, I, I had to go. I worked as, like I said, an informant and also sometimes a nurse. I 
a janitor, but never a soldier. I was very, very lucky to never have been a soldier. Finally, I went to the Columbus compound where it all began on the day of the final battle. I was assigned to be a nurse during that battle. And I saw a lot of things that haunt me. I have heard of the horrors of war. I had even seen some of them at that point. But the final battle at Columbus was one of the hardest days of my entire life. The weaponry both sides have access to. They are much more dangerous compared to the weapons of war that normal men and women use. And just imagine a war movie. Not not that glorified garbage you see on screen all the time these days. But a real actual war, war movie. Imagine the injuries. A hundred times worse. With a hundred times more blood and gore. It was... It was horrible. What's worse? I was not fully equipped to deal with some of these injuries. I watched people die in my arms because I could not save them. For years after that invasion and even now, I wake up in cold sweat, seeing the phantoms of those I could not save. Even as I speak this, it is harder and harder to recall those memories without dredging up everything that happened. Soldiers of every gender, race, background you can think imaginable were killed in this month-long war. That scythe feasted on the blood that day, as it had been doing the whole month. After all the fighting, there was silence. And then, the rest of the cleanup began. The soldiers that surrendered were granted amnesty and mind-wiped. And most of them are now living normal lives. Those who didn't were killed. The two remaining heads were left to deal with the cleanup. The two lost heads, as well as the soldiers who died fighting, were immortalized in so many ways. Memorials. They facilities have been named after them, and people still remember them as their friends, their families, their colleagues. There are only three heads now, with only one other person being gifted and vetted enough to join them. No one was the same after the great disaster. Some things were just never meant to be publicized. Dr. Bear didn't recognize that. It led to a war. I only hope and pray something like that never 
happens again. I hope we never find another person like him in the lab. This, this is, this is Carly Kinzine signing off.